0: two summers ago. Uh, He got married just a few weeks before his 21st birthday. I'm talking about him like he's not here, but he is uh, back because of the holidays. Uh, He and his wife live in Lexington. But uh, as those days uh, were going on, are we going to be bringing slides up at some point? Okay. As those days were ticking down toward, uh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. As those days uh, were ticking down uh, toward Joe and Laura's wedding, uh, I was seized with this, uh, this real sense of Kind of quiet, slow motion panic. Not about the details of the wedding. Lars' family and my wife, you know, and certainly not me, had all the details of the wedding uh, going really well. Uh, but here was this young man, twenty years old. He was going to turn twenty one just a few weeks after they got married. And 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 you know, I don't know any bigger way to turn somebody loose. I don't know any bigger way than to say, you know, there they are, husband and wife, go on your honeymoon, have a nice life, start your own life. And, and in the, the weeks before the wedding, uh, I was really, really concerned with, you know, literally, uh, pardon me, but oh my God, there's so much I haven't told him. You know, here he is fixing to be a, a husband and, to, you know, to start his own household with his wife, and there's so much more I need to tell him. Uh, you know, I wish I'd been a better father when I was, you know, when he was 9 or 11 or 14 or 18, you know. And here, you know, yikes, he's going to get married. And, uh, and I feel a little bit like that now in the household of God uh, with, you know, Adam going to be uh, taking over. And that is that, you know, in my privilege over the last 12 and a half years or so of being the pastor, and in the conversation that we all have had as pastor and as congregation, there's like so much more that I want to tell you all. Right? There's so much more that I still feel like I have to share and to give. And so what I'd like to attempt to do today is, uh, is, you know, in one day is give you the download of all the things I forgot to tell you over the last 12 years. You know, what would you do? I mean, we're going to be, we're gonna be uh, installing Adam next week. So, you know, the focus of that message ought to be on pastoral leadership and Adam's calling. And, you know, so, you know, if you only had a few things to say, there's the, uh, um, what's it called, caring uh, caringbridge.org, and then uh, Ezra Stanfield. Thank you, guys. Um, But, you know, know, if, if I only had one message left to preach, you know, should I try to cram, you know, another 20 years' worth of pastoral advice into one message? Or, you know, can you imagine the challenge of, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm dying. It's not like final words like that. But if you've only got one more message to be able to really hold forth, you know, what would you talk about? I could talk about, you know, in today's message, the importance of uh, tithing and giving gifts and generosity to the poor, the fact that uh, tithing opens up the storehouse of the heavens to be able to be poured out. What it means to honor the Lord with the first fruits of your flock and of your fields and of your riches, and that uh, it says in Proverbs chapter three to honor the Lord with your wealth. I could I could talk about that. In fact, I just did just a tiny little bit, but but that's not the message. You know, where I could talk about the importance of worship, the importance of worship in the life of every single individual believer as well as in the corporate church. The idea that, you know, us Americans who are so intellectual, our Western European heritage about, well, we have to understand things. I could talk about the importance of throwing yourselves Full bore into worship that in heaven, 24 elders who have authority and crowns think nothing of absolutely throwing everything they have down before God. And then after they've thrown everything they have, then they throw themselves down before God. Because it mystifies me that anybody in any kind of spirit of worship, you know, would be able to stand still and just enjoy some coffee and a donut when in fact what we're doing is we're worshiping the King of Kings, the one who was dead and behold, he's alive again forevermore. Worship, both corporate and individual, is the guarantee of mental health, to realize that he's worthy and that he is holy and that, you know, we are his creatures, we are his creation, and that we owe him everything. So I could talk about the importance of worship, and I just did, just a little bit, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I could talk about the importance and the unimaginable, the unimaginable privilege to be able to pray I don't get it. I, and people way smarter than me, they write big long books and the books only prove that they don't get it. How is it that God's creation can pray and we can, we can bombard the, the, the presence of God with our requests and our supplications and that we hold history in our hands and that we hold our own destiny in our hands and that prayer is one of the ways in which those things come, come to be? I don't get it. But you know what? Understanding is overrated. I just know that if I have a father who really loves me, I'm going to talk to him. And even more amazingly, if I have a father who really loves me, he does listen to me. And then unimaginably still, if I have a father who really loves me, that he speaks back to me in those places of prayer. I could talk about prayer today, just did, but I Not going to. Or I could talk about the incredible blessing and the gift of these words that have been preserved for us. You know, it's a miracle of history that I hold in my hand an entire library of the revelation of God's heart and God's mind. It's not a law book. It's not a rule book. It's the revelation of God's heart and God's mind. It's a revelation that it was written 66 different writings, probably over 40 authors, written over 1,500 years in languages that we don't speak, and yet it was collected and preserved and delivered to us. And you realize when you walk into the church holding a Bible in your hand, you hold a treasure and a gift from God that believers for the centuries have yearned to be able to do. And we think no big deal because I can go to Walmart and buy a 9.95, you know, Bible in paperback. Do you understand that not only in, in history that saints for the ages have yearned to be able to have the counsel of God in their hand, but even at other places in the world today that people want this precious entrustment. And here it is, it's given to us. I could talk about the importance of scripture. I'm not going to talk about any of that except for what I just did. But if there was one more thing, if I had final instructions for living for you guys, if there was one more thing, what I would want to talk about is, and what I'm going to talk about, and since I got the mic, you're stuck, I want to talk about the importance of thankfulness. I, I want to talk about the importance of thankfulness because for me, it is the wellspring out of which every Christian discipline can grow it is the wellspring out of which prayer and scriptural study can grow. It's the wellspring that causes us to be active in worship and not passive. You know, it doesn't say, I've got to go back to worship one more time. It doesn't say, have a seat before the Lord and make yourself comfortable. It says, shout unto the Lord all the earth. It says, throw yourself before him. We can bow before him. We can kneel before him. The only posture that, there, that isn't described in the scriptures is have a seat, make yourself comfortable before the God of all the earth. But you know what? If, if, if thankfulness isn't in our hearts, then it doesn't drive us. It doesn't drive us to that. And uh, the same thing with, with tithes and with offerings and generosity to the poor. And that is if we don't realize that everything we have has been entrusted to us as a gift from God, then we won't find ourselves faithful in the tithe, generous in the offering, mercy for the poor. We'll think, I got mine, you go out and get yours. And uh, thankfulness is what reali- you know, realize that so much of our life and so much of our destiny wasn't up to us. Which one of us filled out an application to be born in the 20th century in the United States during a time of unparalleled peace and prosperity? Do you remember filling out any paperwork like that? Did you get a request? It's like, you know, you go to a college and they say, what dorm do you want? You know, and you, so you write down your first choice, your second, third, and your third choice. And it doesn't matter if you're a freshman, they're going to stick you in the worst dorm anyway. But at least they give you the illusion of requesting a dorm, right? Well... You see, so many of the circumstances of our lives have already been given to us by God. And if we realize at all when we're alive, where we're alive, and the the opportunities that God has given to us, it ought to impact the the faithfulness in the tithe and generosity in giving. Thankfulness for me, for me, and because I'm here for you today, is so important. So I want to look today at two different passages because one just wasn't enough two passages that are both of them addressed to really healthy churches. How many of you know some of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote? He wrote to churches that were really screwed up. I mean, they were crazy, whack people. But that some of the letters that he wrote, he wrote to churches that were healthy and that were vibrant and that were doing well. And isn't it amazing, at least it is to me, that even when he was writing to churches that were healthy and that were vibrant, that he puts the giving of thanks, that he puts grateful, gratitude, he puts thankfulness right smack in the middle of those messages. If you brought a Bible today, uh, and I hope you did, let's look in Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about this church in a strange-sounding city called Colossae. The apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, had never been to this church. In fact, this church had been planted by one of Paul's disciples, And one of Paul's disciples presumably had left the big, big city of Ephesus. It would have been like a regional city like Atlanta. And then had gone to some other place, you know, like Macon, Georgia or Chattanooga, Tennessee, something like that. And it started a church that was probably within the orbit of Paul's uh, ministry as an apostle within the church in Ephesus. But, you know, somebody else had planted this church. And word reaches the apostle Paul of how well these people are doing. It's amazing. Church. Everybody's playing nice together. Uh, The church is prospering. The church is impacting the city. And Paul sits down out of his own personal gratitude for the fact that his ministry is bearing fruit in the second generation. And, and his gratitude to God for this church. And he gives some instructions for this church. Now, really what we ought to do, if I wasn't like force-feeding two passages together, is we ought to start reading in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. But I'm going to pick it up there at verse 15. And here's what it says at the New International Version. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And, and that's a plural. He's, he's talking to the gang. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you all together were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus' giving thanks to God the father through him now three times in one small passage three different times is the mention of thankfulness or gratitude in a church that's going well and you know I I think that one of the great blessings of of uh, of our life as a community is that this is a relatively healthy church I mean, we're um, uh, we you know we're all humans, we all make mistakes, but this is a church that we have been blessed with continuity and leadership, we've been blessed in, as I said, especially here in these holiday times, uh, a real core group of people uh, that have been faithful to this church over many, many years, what an incredible privilege. Do you know, over the 12, 12 and a half years that I've been the pastor, do you know that uh, I sit with other pastors, we have meals together, and many of those things devolve into gripe sessions where the pastor's... Complain about the people in their church. I'm here today, I'm literally here today to tell you that when I sit with other pastors, I don't have a single complaint about this church. Are there things that we could do better or more? Or could we all grow spiritually? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm telling you, uh, I, 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 I sadly report to you that many pastors complain about the conditions of their church. and uh, And this church is and will continue to be a tremendous blessing within this own community of faith as well as within the larger community. So three times in this one passage to a healthy church, Paul underscores the importance of thankfulness. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to try to draw a few lines and then encourage you to maybe read the whole chapter at your leisure uh, later. But he says, Let the peace of Christ, verse 15, rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace... And then as its own sentence, and be thankful. I think part of what the Holy Spirit was inspiring Paul as he dictated this letter is there is a real connection between peace and thankfulness. All right? How many of you would like to experience the peace of God in your life all the darn time? All hands go up here. Should. There's a connection between experiencing the peace of God and, and being thankful to God. I would go so far as to say that a heart that is not turned towards God in thankfulness is a heart that does not remain in peace for very long. There's a connection between peace and thankfulness. You realize that, you know, if uh, if we look down the street and our neighbor just got a 52-inch uh, liquid plasma television and they've got the satellite and the, and the high def and all of that and we cause that to get under our skins and we're, and we're jealous of somebody else's prosperity, do you realize that there's no peace in our own home? It's really hard to be satisfied with only our 42-inch liquid plasma LCD television that only gets a few HD stations. You understand, if we are thankful, we will experience the peace of God. Now, that's not only true in consumerism, that's true in family life. You know, you can look around in other families and go, oh, their kids are perfect and my kids are <clears throat> less than perfect. I'm, it's fictional, you understand. Um, uh, you, know, you can look at other families and go, you know, they seem, you know, their marriage seems to be going on and it's so great and, you know, and everything seems to be a struggle in our marriage. You can look around and say, you know, you know, this family's got it going on. Why not ours, Lord? And you understand that most of our grumbling is only done in two places, with our very closest friends or before God. Those, that's usually the only places where we do the grumbling, is with our very closest friends or before God. And if I'm not careful in my prayer times, my prayer times can become nothing more than a gripe session before the Almighty. Thank goodness he can multitask, because he can probably just let those gripes build up. He says, I've heard them all before, I'll come back to them later. And then he goes over and blesses somebody else. Then he comes back and goes, okay, same usual gripes. Peace comes from a thankful heart. Peace comes from a thankful heart. The next thing that he says here in this passage is he talks about, um, uh, look with me at verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart before the Lord. There's teaching, there's admonition, there's worship, they're singing uh, with the psalms. There's even some degree of reflection. Do you understand that every spiritual discipline that we have should be suffused with thankfulness? You can discipline yourself to memorize scripture and then use the scripture to gripe to God. You can discipline yourself uh, to uh, to meditate on the psalms and to have wisdom and insight and still be grumpy before God. You understand? The spiritual disciplines of memorizing Scripture, of prayer, of receiving instruction or instructing others, admonishing people, which really that word probably means is closer to coaching other people. You can go through all of the steps of what it takes to be a disciple and do the disciplines of spirituality, but they need to be infused with thankfulness for them to produce peaceable fruit. Elsewhere, it's not in one of Paul's letters, but it says, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that seed there he's talking about is, is the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines in any church, you know, if, uh, if you've got a great relationship with Labrisco or with, with somebody else in the church or with Adam and you feel like, you know, this person's really mentoring me, it doesn't matter if you're doing the steps and you're doing the work, if you're not filled with gratitude, then part of the seed has got a bad bad part of the DNA. Spiritual disciplines apart from gratitude, spiritual disciplines apart from thankfulness, only produce really mature judgmental people. <laughs> Who here wants to be a really mature, excellent person in judgment? Only Eric. And his wife's over there pulling his hand down. All right? And then finally, in this last part of the passage, verse 17, and whatever you do whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In whatever you do, give thanks. And you're beginning to think, yeah, but uh, I'm stuck in a go nowhere job or I don't have a job at all. Or I've had three jobs and through no uh, fault of my own, I got laid off because times were economically hard. I got another job and then they had a round of layoffs. And it's like I'm always at the bottom rung of the ladder. And, you know, whatever you do, it's like I just can't seem to get my foot on the ladder. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart unto the Lord and do it giving thanks to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this takes it out of just spiritual disciplines. This takes it out of just uh, church-related stuff. It means that, you know, if I'm, as Eric is, a graphic artist, you know, are there days you don't want to go into the office? I mean, you know, it's probably a nice office and all, but there's some days where we'd rather go fishing or snowboarding or something, right? You know, no matter what it is that I do, if I'm a student, if I'm a teacher, if I'm a day laborer, or if I'm a business owner, I got news for you. You know, you know people that take the risk and are business owners, their days, they don't want to go into the office either. But whatever you do, do it with all of your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks. And he's writing this to healthy people. So as healthy people, this is something that we need to be reminded of. And I could I could give you personal testimony after personal testimony that if I just take a moment, and I'm talking about my testimonies, that if I just take a moment and I begin to thank God for his blessings. How much my work, my family life, my, uh, my community, how much those things change. You know, it takes zero prophetic insight to find fault because we live in a culture that is a critical culture. I mean, even in school, what are we taught to do in English papers? Compare and contrast. Understand, compare and contrast doesn't fly in the kingdom of God. Focusing on Jesus with a grateful heart is what flies in the kingdom of God. Whatever you do, if you're a student, do it with all your heart out of a thankful heart to God through Jesus Christ. If you're a business owner, do it with a thankful heart to God through Jesus Christ. If you're, you know, whatever, you're a homemaker, you know, if you're unemployed, then be unemployed with all of your heart before God. That could literally mean, Lord, I know you have something good for me. I am grateful for what is coming and I will not rest until I find that thing that you have for me. And I've, I've counseled many a person over these many years to say, if you don't have a job, make it your full-time job to go find a job. Oh, I can't take that much rejection. Well, what kind of rejection? Well, I applied one place last week. You know, here's what, here's what gratitude does. Gratitude begins to thank God in advance for what he's going to do. Gratitude thanks God in advance. You're thinking if I have to take one more world history class uh, about people that I never met and they're dead for a thousand years and what do I care? I'm going to be an accountant, you know? And you're thinking I'm going to go nuts. Gratitude thanks God in advance for the fact that I'm in a college, that I'm getting an education and that I'm, I'm going to be trained as a professional. Uh, Dick Salmon, who is uh, one of the elders here, uh, at least for another week or so. It's part of our transition. We're changing our leadership team a little. But uh, Dick, you know, he, uh, he, he works the third shift at Walmart. I didn't get your permission to share this. Is that Okay. He works the third shift at walmart and people roll in at you know nine or ten o'clock at night they're going to work till seven o'clock the next morning and you know they're bringing their lazy backsides in and they're they're grumping and you know and then they look over at dick and he goes i'm so blessed to have a job i'm living the dream uh you know i've got you know the best wife i've got a great family and i'm able to put food on the table and you know they, they look at him and they think are you for real well, you know, I, I think you could probably ask him as a senior citizen, would he like to be working third shift at Walmart? And he'd probably say, no, I'd, you know, prefer to be working, you know, first shift at the golf course as the starter, you know. You know, I'd much rather be out in the sunshine and the green grass in Florida somewhere. You know, but the truth is, is that what we bring to what is before us is not only a key to success, I even hate that kind of phrase, it's a key to a full life in Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Whatever you do. All right? Now, I I can hear the objections. I can hear the objections piling up. Life is hard. How many here has been kicked in the head? How many has got a good degree, a bachelor's or maybe even a master's degree from the School of Hard Knocks? and you're thinking, you know, what this guy's really doing is he's just preaching, you know, stuff that's, you know, like, come on, buck up. Let me, let me give you a few bullet points on what thankfulness is not. Thankfulness is not positive mental attitude, okay? <laughs> No, you know, no disrespect to Anthony Robbins. This was me in an earlier life when I was a motivational speaker. I mean, look at this dude, you know, he's he's got the, you know, the really tight black t-shirt. Now, the older I get, the more I wear baggy black t-shirts, right? But back in the day when I was a motivational speaker, I'd say, come on, just try a little harder. You know, if you try hard enough, you can do anything. You can walk across hot coals. Thankfulness is not a positive mental attitude as the world counts positive mental attitude. You know, I I really liked Ronald Reagan, but, you know, sometimes it was a little bit much. He told this story once that a boy for Christmas got a pile of, of horse manure. And he said, that little boy, you know, this sounds exactly like Ronald Reagan. He said, that little boy grabbed a shovel and started digging into the horse manure. And somebody said, why are you doing that? And he goes, with all this manure around, there must be a pony in there somewhere. You know, that's not what godly thankfulness is about. Okay, that's not godly gratitude. That's, you know, trying to do the Dale Carnegie thing. And, you know, there's a certain degree of wisdom where God's wisdom, even if applied apart from God's word, can take you, you know, kind of far, right? But I am not talking about the power of positive thinking, nor am I talking about ignoring the facts that might be before us. If you're out of a job... If you have a wayward child, if you're facing uh, an illness, somebody's giving you a diagnosis of the big C, you know, you can't ignore the facts. How you doing? Oh, I'm great today, brother. You know, isn't God doing good? Now, I'm all for a positive confession. Back in the in the day, in the late 60s and the early 70s, there was a guy named Merlin, or Merlin Carruthers, I think, certainly Carruthers. Merlin might have been his first name, and he talked about the power of praise, you know, but... True spirituality does not ignore the facts as they are. Who's the father of all faith according to the scripture? Mm -hmm. Abraham, right? Abraham received a promise from God at age 75 that he would bear a child. And Five years goes by. Ten years go by. Nothing's happened. And, you know, he propagates a child on a, on a slave girl and says, well, you know, we'll just take this child as our own. And God visits him again and goes, no, I promise you I'm going to get, give you a child. And in Romans, in chapter 4, here's what it says. It says, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and yet did not waver in unbelief. Do you understand Thankfulness and gratitude is not ignoring the facts. Your family's going through a hard place. Life has been unfair. Is there injustice in the world? You bet. But it's not ignoring the facts. It's realizing that we have a destiny that is incomparable. The Apostle Paul said, I believe the glory that is going to be revealed is not even worthy to be compared with the momentary light afflictions that we go through. This was a guy who had been beaten 39 times, five times. This was a guy who had been shipwrecked three times, and that's before the shipwreck that's recorded in the book of Acts. This is a guy who said, I'm in danger when I'm in the city, but I'm in danger when I'm in the country. I'm in danger from the people who like me, and I'm in danger from the people who don't like me. And he said, the glory that's going to be revealed is not even worthy to be compared to the momentary light affliction. Who here has gotten beaten 39 times, even once? And he called it momentary light affliction. But he, you notice he counted it. He said, well, that's the fifth time that happened. That's the third shipwreck I've been through. You know, there is injustice in the world. There are uh, cheaters and there are you know, swindlers out there on the business side of things. Uh, there, uh, there is disappointment far more than, than I or my family has ever experienced. Other people have experienced disappointment that is at a depth that, uh, that I don't have any personal experience with having a grateful heart is not ignoring the facts. Having a grateful heart is to stay steadfastly focused on the grace of God. And then finally, thankfulness is not spontaneous, at least at first. Because I know what some people are thinking, I'm just not that kind of guy. You know, there's optimists and then there are realists, right? You know? Oh, you know, some people, they just wake up happy and they clearly are delusional and not connected to reality in any way because the only sober assessment is to be a pessimist, except I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realist, right? And so people like that, don't show me your hands if it's you because I'll just irritate you even more. People like that say, well, I'm just not spontaneously thankful that's not who I am. First of all, I'd like to suggest that God would like you to become the kind of person who is spontaneously thankful. And secondly, developing a thankful heart is not because all of a sudden I feel thankful thoughts or feelings and then it just bubbles up. Oh, I can't help myself. I feel so good. That's not it. It's to rehearse the goodness of God in the land of the living and to take the promises of God as more real than the reality that I'm going through And to do the math and to do the discipline of turning my attention away from what God is not doing and on to what God is doing. You know, there there are people when you pray for them for healing, and you know, they say, I can't lift my shoulder, you know, at all. It doesn't move. And then you pray for them and they can move it up this far and they go, you know what they say? They say, Nope, still not healed. I'm serious. And you go, well, you know, wouldn't it be better to focus on what God is doing than what God is not doing? And true gratitude, true thankfulness is the sober judgment and assessment of a rational mind that then turns to God. And if you build that pathway in your mind, it becomes spontaneous later. That, I... I wish I could really get this across. I mean, even physiologically, our mind runs along synapses or synapses or whatever the plural is. Our mind runs along pathways that we have trained our mind to run across. And so we think, well, I'm just not spontaneously thankful. Say, well, then maybe it'll be a little bit more difficult for you, but you can do it. And if we have a sober assessment that is based on the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, It doesn't matter whether our thanks is spontaneous or whether it is calculated. But if we take the time to calculate and the next day to calculate and the next day to calculate and the next day to calculate, guess what we discover? Sooner or later, we begin to live from the inside a natural life of spontaneity that is spontaneously thankful. It's not enough to apply a happy patch on the outside. We have to train ourselves to God's priorities. See me for the happy patches. That's what thankfulness is not. Now let's look at one other passage. You okay with this? I believe this with all my heart. Honestly, I'm going to preach at Adam next week. This is the most important thing that I have to tell anybody after 38 years of following Jesus is to learn how to be grateful to God. This is the most, this is, this is me like, you know, tearing it open. This is, this is all I have to tell you. Let's look at one more passage it's in first Thessalonians chapter five some people could probably quote this this is uh, the first Thessalonians chapter five is that in the Old Testament or the New Testament now I um, I put this up starting in like verse 12 but Uh, You can tell, go ahead and flip that for me, Jess. You can tell where I'm going to land on this real quick because I put it in bigger print and in italics. But let's read the whole passage. Let's read the whole passage, uh, starting in chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, and remember, by the way, he's talking to a healthy church. This was a good group of people who had it going on. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. By the way, I'm so grateful for this gift, not only from Eric, but that the church commissioned that gift. Thank you very much and for your prayers. Thank you very much. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live at peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle, to encourage the timid, and to help the weak, and to be patient with everyone. I'm pretty good on the first three, not on the last one. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Don't throw your brain away. Hold on to what is good and avoid every kind of evil. And at least in my Bible, in my NIV, it actually reads even their final instructions over that you know, that little passage. So Paul, when he was writing to this other church in Thessalonica, this was a church where Paul had only been there for three weeks. Can you imagine planting a church and you gotta, you gotta leave Dodge after three weeks and so you say, okay, now you're gonna be an elder and you're gonna be an elder and you're gonna be an elder and none of them, been, they've been Christians for three weeks. And you know, and then he finds out later the church has taken root and doing really well. So Paul is what? Oh, thankful to God for his grace that a church where he could only, or a place where he could only minister for three weeks gave birth to it, okay? We need to take it to heart. Be joyful always, pray continually, and in everything give thanks. We need to take these things to heart. And uh, back when I was growing up, we used to read the uh, New uh, American Standard, and there was even a song. Maybe we could do this. Well, I should look at Hannah. Where are you? We could do this as a worship song, okay? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. You guys know that song? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, to rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. You know what? That still works as a worship song. I mean, by the time Adam or Glenn got through with it, you know, it may be recognizable or may not, but that's okay. It still works as a worship song. And it, it also, you get like a threefer on the scripture memory scale. There's, you know, verses 15, or what, what is it? It's verses 16, 17, and 18. You get credit for like learning three voices. It's like, you know, the kids that are in school would say, what's your memory verse? Jesus wept. I memorized the whole thing. Well, you can get a three for here on scripture memory. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's look at these. Okay? Absolute joy. Be joyful always. Now, either God is just plain mean through the Holy Spirit and he's commanding you to do something that can't be done, there's one possibility. He's a cosmic sadist who is who's setting the bar so high you can never get to it. Or he's declaring to us the possibility of transcendent joy, that joy is possible even above the circumstances. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a young couple with a six-day-old baby who's facing heart surgery unless the Lord sovereignly intervenes. And I'm telling you, we sat with Marcus last night, my wife and I and Adam and Heather and the... He's at peace and he's joyful. He's not ignoring the facts. He knows, he's sober about what's going on and he's joyful. You can't be around Marcus or Kelly without coming away encouraged because the joy of the Lord is just resident in them. And we're talking about a first baby facing the potential of death. We trust God that that won't happen. And so when you sit with him for any length of time, you find out, oh yeah, there's a McDonald's down on the first floor of the hospital, and I spent a half an hour ministering to a guy you know, in there in McDonald's while I was, went down to grab a meal. His baby's upstairs fighting for its life, and he's ministering to somebody in McDonald's. We sat last night, because you can only go in, two people at a time around the baby, and, and the nurses were changing shifts, and every single nurse that walked by, he called them by name, and he smiled at them, and he spoke to them. They've been there two days, and he's got his mission field. And he lives in the peace of God and in the joy of the Lord. Now, you understand, there's a time for everything, a time, time for tears and a time for celebration. And there's a time, you know, you, know, to, you know, well, whatever. You understand, he's, he's, he's not delusional, but he understands and he lives the joy of the Lord. How many of you, that's why he's our announcement guy. Don't you want to put a happy guy up to do the announcements? You don't want Eeyore doing the announcements. Well, we're going to have midnight oil. Marcus gets up here and he says, Hello, saints of Campbellsville. How are you doing? It's not a put-on. And who was the genius that made him the announcement? Oh, that was me. Okay. Right. Rejoice evermore, or in the NIV, be joyful always. Pray continually. Do you notice where prayer fits here? Do you notice where prayer fits here? It's in between transcendent joy and enduring thanksgiving. Where does prayer fit? This is, it's a prayer sandwich, but this is where the meat of prayer is. It's between transcendent joy and thankfulness that goes on and on and on. How many of you, how many of you don't show me your hands, have worn out the Almighty complaining about your situation? Now, he's loving and he's patient, and he really does want to know what you, what you have to say. But the place of continual prayer is nestled securely between joy and thanksgiving. You know, again, I, we've quoted Bill Johnson once from Bethel Church. Let's quote him again. He stands up and he says, I have good news today. God is in a good mood. You know, that's a pretty good place from which to start prayer. God's in a good mood. How is it that you can pray continuously? Well, you know, I'd like to suggest a few. There are gifts of the Holy Spirit that allow us to, like, have a gyroscope spinning within us to, to pray in, a, in an unknown tongue, in a heavenly language. Do you, I've just got to tell you again that when it comes time for me to rev up my thankfulness, I pray in the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even know what's going on, but I'm telling you that after 15 or 20 minutes of praying in the Holy Spirit, I've got a 20-minute drive to Lebanon. I'm just going to pray in the Spirit. And when I get to Lebanon, something has changed in me, and my brain's been totally disconnected. Well, most people would say that happens all the time. But I pray in the Holy Spirit, and something happens. Also, we can live a life of continual prayer. Eric and uh, Adam and I were talking about this uh, driving home. How many of you know that your job is not an impediment to prayer? You don't understand. I work on a factory line, and I take this off, and I put this on. And I take this off, and I put this on. Fine. You can pray while you're doing the job. You don't understand. I got screaming kids, and I have to wash dishes, and I change diapers. How many of you know you can pray, you should pray in those situations? We have a woman in our congregation, Ann Tucker, who has raised half of the county over the last 30 years. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's a woman who knows how to cry out to God. And, you know, I go in to drop something off at Ann's house, and I go nuts after 45 seconds, and she's just as level as can be. You work on the line, pray. You raise your children and other people's children, Pray. You know, there are times when you have to apply your mind to something, you know, carry the one, divide by four, whatever is involved. You know, as soon as you're done with that, pray. Pray continuously. Rejoice evermore, NAS. Pray without ceasing. In fact, offer your work to God. This goes back to the other passage. As a prayer. You know, you think, man, I've got to focus on what I'm doing because I'm a a bricklayer and if I don't focus on what I'm doing, this thing's going to be out of plumb and the wall's going to fall over. When you finish, when you finish, step back and say, this is my prayer to you today, Jesus. And then if you want to pray some more, go home and pray a while. I mean, I'm okay for 24-7 prayer, but I also realize that everything we do, take the first passage that we looked at, Everything we do is an acceptable offering to God in prayer. Everything. I'm coming off angry about that, but I don't want to. I'm just saying prayer is a whole lot more than just getting the Holy Ghost sillies and dancing in the corner. And I'm all for the Holy Ghost sillies. Okay? Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Oh, come on. In everything in everything give thanks. I mean, again, either God is a cosmic you know, sadist or he's pointing to the possibility that there are, there are ways to give him thanks in all things. I'm going to give you a really old uh, illustration. In fact, it's so old it'll sound new to some of you. There was a young woman who lived in Belgium who used to hide Jewish people from the Nazis until the day that the SS broke in and took her and her older sister and her father and put them in a concentration camp even though they weren't Jewish. And this this sweet young girl, Corey Tenboom, felt rage against God because they were doing God's work. They were saving Jewish people from the Nazis, and somehow they not only got captured, but they got thrown in the concentration camp. And her older sister said, Corey, you have to give thanks in everything. And part of her situation in that concentration camp was learning what it meant to give thanks to everything. And she was particularly creeped out by lice. You know? You know, you can imagine. These weren't the most sanitary conditions. Totally creeped out by that. And she would still complain, you know, even after a year in a concentration camp. Well, you know, I can thank God because we were able to sneak a Bible in and we're sharing the gospel with Israel right now here in this concentration camp. People's eternal destinies were being changed. She said, I will never thank God for the lice. And then two days later, they ra- the, the SS authorities were going to do a sweep through the concentration camp to try to find all of the contra- contraband you know in these little huts and hovels they lived in and when they got to where she was where she had a bible and where they had some some bread to be able to give to people hidden away the ss officers stopped and they said don't go in that that barracks because it's filled with lice and she realized even the lice were a reason to thank god because it preserved their their uh, their handling of the scripture and the bread that they were giving to minister to other people and she realized Even thank God for the lice. In everything, give thanks. It is a discipline that becomes spontaneous when you meet with the Holy Spirit of giving thanks in everything. You facing hard times? There's a discipline of giving thanks in everything. I mean, don't be an idiot. Don't go, oh, I'm just so happy I have cancer. It's not from God. He didn't give it to you. He doesn't want you to have it. But even in the treatment of cancer, we can find reasons for giving thanks. I'm unemployed. Oh, I'm so happy that I'm on food stamps. You know, no, I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of silliness. I am talking about the kind of thing that says, I am grateful because my God will provide for me. In everything, give thanks. And if all of that isn't enough, you just fall back to simple obedience because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Are you facing really important decisions in your life? Who should I marry? Where should I go to work? What town should I live in? Oh, if I only knew the will of God. I know the will of God for you. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. If you came to the vineyard today to find out what is God's will for my life, I'll give you God's will for your life. Rejoice evermore pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There is a kingdom breakthrough for people who can come into a thankful relationship with God. There's a kingdom breakthrough for people who come into a thankful relationship with God. So I'm not dying, I'm not going away. Other than my wife and my children, this is what I'm all about. But in the last message where I get to speak to the congregation, I'm saying that from August of 1970 to December of 2008, 38 some years of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's one thing He's taught me, it's to be thankful. It's to be thankful. I've screwed up a lot of things. I've made a lot of dumb decisions. There's a lot of, you know, throws I'd like to have back. You know, it's like when you. Quarterback throws an interception. And see, wish you, had, wish you had a string on the thing to be able to pull it back. Done a lot of stupid things. But if he's taught me one thing, it's to be thankful. It's to be thankful. And do you understand that, a, that one thankful person can be written off as an anomaly? Did you know that? Oh, he's just delusional. A whole community of thankful people becomes a testimony in the community where you are planted. Oh, I met this one guy. He works at the, uh, at the Walmart on third shift. He's a little crazy. He's really, really thankful. Yeah, where does he go to church? He goes to church at the vineyard. Someone else says, yeah, I met somebody else. He's a student and, he, you know, he's carrying 26 hours and he works a full-time job and blah, blah, blah. And he's so thankful. Where does he go to church? He goes to church at the vineyard. See, one thankful person is an idiot. A community of, th- a community of thankful people is a testimony to the glory of God. The call today, if I've got any call, it's to be a thankful people. You can't be a thankful people to you're thankful persons. But that's part of what the call is. All right? Well, if you're on ministry team today, come on forward. This is really neat, Eric. Thank you so much.